Hello there and welcome to KDL Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your school principal, your gym teacher, your custodian workers, anyone in your school, because we have a special episode today. Um, Jill, do you want to explain why this episode is so special compared to our, not that our other episodes weren't special, but this one's a little different. This one is a little different. So we are doing a special um, episode where we're answering questions from one fourth grade class from Vanguard Charter. So shout out to Mrs. Blanchard's class. Thanks for amazing questions. They were good ones. Yeah. yeah. And if any other um, elementary schools want to reach out to us, you can email us. Yeah, at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. But I am Courtney. I'm one of the librarians you're going to be stumping. I'm joined by Emily. Hello. And Jill. And uh, today, ladies, I want you to think about your favorite elementary school teacher. So I'll go first. Um, mine, I was lucky enough to have Mrs. Nugent as my fourth and fifth grade teacher at Grayson Elementary, which I can't remember if Grayson exists as an elementary school anymore or if it's building is something else now. Um, but my favorite memory with Mrs. Nugent was we read the Watsons go to Birmingham, um, by Christopher Paul Curtis. And I loved that. And so I read, but not buddy, which I also loved. Mrs. Nugent told me that she was going to be meeting Christopher Paul Curtis. And so I asked her if she could have my copy signed being me I forgot to give it to her so she bought a copy at the I think it was a conference that she was at and she had him sign it for me and then just like traded me which was nice because I definitely had the scholastic paperback and she bought the hardcover copy which I still have to this day it's uh book jacket is not in the greatest condition (laughs) because it has been through various moves but um Emily what do you got That's a tough one. I had some pretty great teachers in elementary school. I would say um, I had a number of science teachers, like, in a row. We had, like, one for when we were quite small, and then one when we were, like, second to fourth grade or something. And then we had another one um, beyond that. And I, they were all just really fantastic. I got to go to school where we were outside a lot, and that was wonderful. Um, I remember building a... um, we, we got, like, these big trash bags, and we got to put stars all over them, and then our science teacher taped them all together and blew them up with, like, big fans, and we got to lay in there. She, like, would put a bunch of, like, flashlights and stuff in there so that they would glow. Um, and just, like, cool stuff like that. So probably all of my science teachers in elementary school. That is really Very cool. cool. Mm-hmm. Jill? Well, my elementary school is Southwood Elementary School. Shout out right by the Gaines Woo! Branch. Woo! It is. I was just there the other day to drop off some library card registration. That's really exciting. I I got my library card at the Gaines Branch. I walked there when I was in kindergarten. Yeah. Fun fact, uh, we posted a throwback Thursday photo and Jill immediately texted me and was like, is this me? And I was like, I don't know. Ask your mom. And it turns out it was Jill's sister. It was. It was. (laughs) But anyway, sorry. Your favorite teacher. My favorite teacher was my third grade teacher, Mrs. Vandenbos. Shout out to Mrs. VDB. Um, She's just awesome, a kind person. And I just, I loved being in her class. I wrote and read so many good things in there. And she was just wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, we are ready to get down to business to see if Miss Blanchard's class has stumped us today. So Jill, what is the first question of the pod? Our first question is from Spencer. Spencer asks, how does a fire extinguisher work? 
That's a great question, Spencer, and I'd love to tell you the answer. But first, fire. It is made up of three different parts. So there's oxygen, heat, and fuel. So in a typical fire, the fuel might be wood, grease, or electricity. And a fire occurs when the fuel is heated to the right temperature, and then the fire starts. And the fire keeps going because there's a chemical combustion reaction between the oxygen in the air that we're breathing right now and the fuel. And that reaction keeps the fuel at the right temperature to keep burning. So oxygen plus heat plus fuel equals what, Emily? Fire. Yeah, yes. you got it. Um, and fire is very nice in a fireplace or a campfire ring, but it's very bad if it starts inside your house, your school, really any building that's that it can't be contained. Anywhere you don't want fire to be. Yeah, There's lots of places where we don't want fire to be. It's then. not a good yeah. time. Um, there are several different types of fire extinguishers that deal with different types of fires, which I did not know. Thank you, Jill. Jill is the one that did the research on this question, so shout out to Jill. Um, and today we're only going to talk about one type of fire extinguisher that everyone should have in their house, which I found out today. Um, and I will go and get a fire extinguisher. And they should be checked regularly. Uh, yeah, yes. regularly, fairly regularly. Um, and it is the ABC Multipurpose Dry Chemical Fire Extinguisher. I hope you wrote that down, everyone. Um, the other types of fire extinguishers work similarly, but are for the kinds of fires that are typically found in factories or like commercial kitchens. Um, so you don't need those in your house. Um, so again, that was the ABC Multipurpose Dry Chemical Fire Extinguisher. That is a mouthful. But anyways, a fire extinguisher works by removing at least one of the elements that make the fire. So it removes either the oxygen, the heat, or the fuel. And before we had fire extinguishers, people would attempt to put out fires by using water. And so water only removes um, one element of the fire, the heat. Now, there is so much interesting history about putting fires using a hand chain. Any guesses what a hand chain is, Emily? No, the first thing that comes to mind, which I don't think is right, is um, a bunch of people standing in a row handing each other buckets of water. That's literally is that it. it. That is it. <laughs> Yay. It's passing buckets of water from person to person, from the water source to the fire. This makes me think of the movie The Little Rascals. Oh, their yeah. Their plaything is on fire, and that's what they do. They're, like, passing. Very and by smart. the time it gets to the, because they're, they're children, by the time it gets to the actual fire, there's, like, one tiny splash of water. <laughs> and then Spanky gets the fire hose and... It's a, it's a great time. I watched that movie if you haven't. But anyways, um, there are some ancient squirts that were used, and they were hand pumps where one end goes into the fire source and some type of hose squirts the water onto the fire. The problem with these methods is that water is not always the best way to stop a fire. Depending on what is fueling the fire and the intensity of the heat, water may not be enough to put a fire out. So what is a, inside of a fire extinguisher and how does it work? Well, that's a great question. We're going to answer that. The ABC Multipurpose Dry Chemical Fire Extinguisher. Gosh, that's hard You're to say. You're getting good at that though, yeah. Um, does not have water inside of it. It does contain foam or powder, most commonly made of sodium bicarbonate or baking soda. I have baking soda at my house. I'm going to have to read this further because Jill's yeah. telling me that's not going to put out my fire. Okay, anyways. Um, so it has a bit 
bicar- sodium bicarbonate or baking soda. Um, they work by depriving the fire of one of the elements, but instead of depriving the fire of the heat, like water does, they deprive the fire of the fuel. The dust from the foam or powder inside of the fire extinguisher separates the fuel from the surrounding oxygen and poof, the fire goes out. Um, Inside of a fire extinguisher, there is the main canister that is filled with the dry chemical or foam. And through the foam or dry chemical, there is a siphon tube that leads from the bottom of the canister to the top nozzle and you can that you can see on the outside. Also, inside of a fire extinguisher is a small canister of some type of compressed gas. And when you pull the safety pin on a fire extinguisher, which you should only do if there is a fire... Do not do this if there's not a fire. Um, It releases the gas, and the gas applies pressure on the foam or dry chemicals in the large canister. This pressure pushes the fire suppressant foam or dry chemicals up the siphon and out of the nozzle. And when you use a fire extinguisher, there are a few important things to remember. And this is Emily's favorite way to remember things is with an acronym. The acronym is PASS. So P is for pull the pin. Make sure the fire extinguisher is facing away from you because when you pull the pin, you are releasing that pressurized gas that lets the fire extinguisher work. A is aim low. You're pointing the extinguisher at the fuel of the fire, not the flames. S is for squeeze the lever slowly and evenly. And S is sweep the nozzle from side to side. Now there are a few important notes. Fire extinguishers are not designed for large fires. They do not have very much fire suppressant material inside of them, so when in doubt, get out of the building instead of using the fire extinguisher. Also, from the U.S. Fire Administration, it's important to note that fire extinguishers are not recommended to be used by children. Get a big person. Um, If there's a fire inside of your house, grab your adult, get out, and call 911. But, Before there is a fire, talk to your adult about how to use a fire extinguisher and learn where yours is. Did you know you can even call your local fire department if you would like fire extinguisher training or to learn more about household fires? That sounds pretty cool to get some fire extinguisher training. That sounds like it would be fun. Also helpful. And and very helpful. Yes, absolutely. Are you going to get a fire extinguisher now, Courtney? Well, now I have to. Yes. Because now I feel unsafe. In my house. I've never had one. I can't remember. Or my mom put it somewhere where I would not know where it was. That's probably more likely when I was a child. Which is not um, very useful (laughs) if you don't know where it is. All right. Well, thanks, Spencer, for that great question. Jill, do you have a fact of the day? I do have a fact of the day. And um, this fact of the day is from a beautiful dinosaur book. Thousand facts about dinosaurs. And before one of you two say, you've told us this fact before. I have. And it was a podcast that didn't record. Oh. Oh, Oh, man. (laughs) I was going to say, that book looks familiar. Yeah. 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 So the audience hasn't heard this, but you have. Well, we have heard this. It's a good fact. It's a great fact. It is a good fact, fact. yeah. So this is a wonderful book. You can put it on hold at kdl.org. And this page is... 15 piercing facts about spiky dinosaurs. I love the distinction spiky dinosaurs. It does help. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Speaking. And this is the fact. It's uh, fact number six. The bony plates sticking out of a stegosaurus back weren't attached to its skeleton. 
they grew directly out of the dinosaur's skin. Oh, yes. I do remember this. Yes. And I remember it, thinking how painful that sounds. And, and itchy. Weird. I feel like it would be itchy and weird and uncomfortable. Mm, I don't like it. I always thought for sure that those were bones. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, very weird. Kind of like giant like fingernails. I don't like it. Ooh. Coming out of their back. Oh, oh yeah. Mm. Okay. That is uncomfortable. What it is. Gross. <laughs> well, should we move on to the next yeah, question? Let's yeah. move right along. Okay. This is Chloe's question. Thanks, Chloe, for this question. Who invented the zipper and why did they invent it? Great question, Chloe. As with many inventions throughout history, it's rare that one person just alone invents a product. Often um, others are coming up with similar ideas or they've failed at similar ideas or they needed better marketing with similar ideas, but often similar ideas abound. Unless it was popsicles. Unless it was popsicles. And then one person. <laughs> yeah, it's only clear one person. One person. <laughs> um, Ice cream. Not, not, not true. true. Uh, the zipper is a great example of this, though. I found details on a few people trying to invent zipper-like systems, but either failed or gave up, um, didn't continue forward with improvements. Um, but a lot of times they were taken over by another inventor who would make a better product. And that's kind of how we got to zippers today, because people were like, oh, that's kind of a good idea. I'm going to make it better and keep using it. So back in the mid-1800s, um, a guy by the last name of Howe invented a uh, invented it, invented and patented um, what is what was called the automatic continuous clothing closure, wow. which is a rough thing to say, and I imagine that is part of his reason. <clears throat> excuse me, that um, he didn't make it that far because that's just hard to say. But it really was a step toward the idea of a zipper. Um, but that's really where the invention stopped. He came up with the idea, he got a patent for it, and then that was kind of it because Howe also invented the sewing machine that became leaps and bounds more popular than this automatic continuous clothing closure. That is such a, <laughs> like, I thought the fire extinguisher one was hard to say. That is harder no, to say. I was excited to hear your um, fire extinguisher one because I was like, I got one of those in yeah. mine too. Um yeah, so that idea fell to the wayside. He did have uh, fantastic hair, though, and I feel like that needed to be noted. So we will put a picture of him in this blog post. Um, it is really great it's, hair. It's really great. It just it completely encircles his face. It's fantastic. Okay, so about 40 years later, um, a man named Whittacombe Judson. Great name. Great, also a great name, yep. Was a war veteran and an inventor, um, and he started his idea for the zipper, uh, but he didn't call it that. He already had a dozen patents to his name, and by the time he debuted with uh, his version of the, of the zipper, he called it the clasp locker, which is a much simpler name to say, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> by no means was it perfect, and certainly not the zippers we know today. But he did lay down an important foundation for what would become the zipper that we do know today. His clasp locker was patented in 1893 um, using a series of, like, hooks and eyes um, that would kind of, like, fasten together, like, they would use on shoes, they would use it on clothing. And even though it was, like, very, like, basic, it did make the clothes, like, clothing and shoes easier to get on and, and close up. Um and he did have some great marketing, which was an important part of his clasp um, locker situation. And he did take his vent, uh, invention to the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, um, the same year he got it patented. Which, by the way, I don't know if either of you know anything about the Chicago World's Fair. Somebody should ask us questions about that because there's like so much that happened there and so many yeah. like events and modern like marvels that I happened. I only know that there's a devil in the white city. <laughs> yes, there's also <laughs> there's also some some not great things That's that happened there, thing, but also really cool things. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, okay, so Whittacombe made a pretty product, pretty good product, but the system wasn't quite the zippers you think of today. So they weren't nearly as smooth, they weren't as quick to close. So another inventor, Gideon Sundbeck, I think is how you pronounce that, um, <clears throat> improved on the design. He was a Swedish immigrant, an electrical engineer, and a head designer at the U.S. Universal Fastener Company, where he worked on Judson's design by increasing the number of fastening pieces. So he was able to improve this design by having two rows of teeth, and I'm everybody listening can't see this, but I'm making hand gestures to Courtney and Jill. Mm-hmm. Um, two, ro- <laughs> two rows of teeth that come together as you pull up a single slider. Sound familiar? <laughs> Sound a, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Know. So the teeth yeah. come together as you like slide up a slider. Um, by December 1913, Sumbeck had created the zipper we know today, and by 1917 had patented it. The U.S. Army became the first biggest com- uh, company, but it wasn't until... B.F. Goodrich, decided to use these fasteners on a new type of rubber boots that they were renamed zippers. Um, And 20 years later, they also became really big in the fashion uh, industry. So in 1937, there was a magazine um, that put on this contest called Battle of the Fly, which was literally (laughs) people trying to button up their pant slides as quick as they can versus zipping up their pant slides as quick as they can. Um, and it was no contest. I don't know if you ever tried to button something up quickly, but it is not easy. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had. Oh, oh, I gosh, haven't done I my zipper. I have a button shirt and pants taking see how, see how quick that – she's still working on her first button. I have half a button. <laughs> so clearly, like, the zipper was the winner. Um, and the magazine declared the zipper the newest tailoring idea for men, which – Obviously, it also then went on women's things eventually, mm-hmm. too. Um, and then it negated the possibility of unintentional and embarrassing disarray, which essentially meant you couldn't, like, get your zipper up or your fly up, I guess. I don't know what they called them when they were buttons. Um, but then, yeah, from then on, you'd start to see them on pants and clothes and bags just all over the place. Yeah. So that's how the invention of the zipper happened. And then to answer the second part of your question, Chloe, I suppose the reason why the zipper was created was because somebody had a good idea that was an easier way to go about things than what we were already doing. So if you have an idea, you should do the same. If there's something in your life that's like, oh, this is working, but like it could be better, Mm -hmm. you can come up with your own idea and try to invent something. Yes, please do. Okay, but now I have a question as to why on your pants it's called a fly. Like, why do people, like, why? Hmm. It has nothing to do with flies, does it? I don't know. Jill looked it like doesn't. she knew the answer for a moment there. But now she's saying no. I do not know the answer. <laughs> I always look to Jill for, like, facial cues when I have a question about information. That is a good question, though. I don't know. Sometimes I look it up real quick. But that one seems like it might be hard. Yeah. yeah. Research. So someone submit that question and we'll answer it. They, they also call it... A barn door, though, don't they? And there's, like, flies that go in and out of that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I have I no know. idea. <laughs> I will say, though, that zippers are not foolproof. And They're not. Sometimes they do come down, and they mm-hmm. do get jammed. That's true. I've broken zippers before. Yeah, same it's here. Sad day. I once got stuck in my coat. I couldn't get it unzipped, and so I had to, like, take my arms out of it and, like, step out of it <laughs> because I, I just couldn't get it to unzip, and I was like, I'm home. I don't want to be wearing <laughs> this thing. That's stressful. It is more convenient than buttons. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or snaps. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like in the 90s, they were really pushing snap pants. Like, snap. I had some snap on there, pants, yeah. And those stay, those do not they stay do not. close. You'd have to wear a, 
Well, at least I would wear a longer shirt. Yes. Well, I would wear those yes. just in case. Yeah, those yeah. did not always stay buttoned. Because, like, I mean, you're standing up, you know, your things stomach are, is a little good, yeah. flat, and then you sit down. It's not always a good time. No, 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 no. Bad Any design. <laughs> yes. Zipper is much better. We have a really interesting uh, what we're reading today from Mrs. Blanchard's class. Emily, we, we do. share with us? Yeah. So, um... Mrs. Blanchard hasn't actually read this book yet, but her daughter Hannah has just finished reading New From Here by Kelly Yang, which she borrowed from KDL, of course. And she says she loved this book and couldn't stop suggesting it to me over the weekend. This is a middle grade novel about a boy who moves to California from China right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. As you can imagine, this boy struggles with all sorts of things, including people thinking he brought COVID with him from Cal- or to California from China. This book tackles racism, being the new kid, family struggles, and accepting your own unique characteristics. It's definitely on my chibi red stack, which I think should be on everybody's chibi red stack. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that everybody can relate to in there, and it's very current for yeah. sure. I like Kelly Yang's book. I remember mm-hmm. when Front Desk came out, which is loosely based on, well, it's mostly based on Kelly Yang's life coming to the States from China. And I remember when I read that, I told everyone to read it. I was like, read this book. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. We have one last question from our friends. Jill, what's the question? This question is, why do crickets chirp? And this question is from Avery. Thank you, Avery, for your question. All right. Yes, thanks, Avery. So have you ever been trying to sleep on a cool summer night you got the windows open, and you've been awoken by the sound of a cricket chirping. Yeah. If you haven't. No. You haven't? No. I feel like more like cats will bring them inside, and those are annoying. Well, yeah, if they're outside, they're, I don't and, mind. Well, you still can hear them. Yeah, Anyways. Whatever, well, if you haven't, <laughs> Sorry. you must not sleep with your windows open, or you're a very sound sleeper. Um, but before we jump into why crickets chirp, let's talk about crickets and some interesting facts about them. First, I feel like I have to say that most of the sources for this question were pest control websites. Um, and in searching for why do crickets chirp and just facts about crickets, the top results were always pests. So like if they're in your house, that is a problem. Um, and we'll get into that because chirping crickets is a huge and annoyance, um, but we're going to dive into the information. So, crickets belong to the kingdom Animalia. They're in the phylum Anthropoda. They're in the class Insecta, but they're in the order Orthopetera, and then the suborder Ancifera. The superfamily got, I'm not going to say this one correctly, Grillodia, and then they're in the family Grillodiae. I probably said those very wrong, but I think the second most important question we have to ask about crickets is, are they true bugs? Emily? No. Yeah. So if you listen to episode 15, which is, you, that's gross, um, then you'll know that Emily shared some information about what true bugs are and how most creepy crawlies are not in fact bugs. It's true, yeah. Almost none of them. Almost like, none of them. With like how many bugs there few. are in the world, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, nope. Crickets do not bug. I mean, they bug, but they're not true bugs. <laughs> um, because they belong to the order Orthoptera and not Hemiptera, 
I'm probably saying these so wrong. I think that second one was, was good. It was great. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, they are not true bugs, but they are insects. And now I'm going to tell you some super cool things about them before we talk about their most annoying or calming trait, their chirping. So crickets are closely related to grasshoppers, and there was some disagreement in my sources for how many species of crickets there are, um, but just know that there are a lot, like at least over 900, I believe. Some were saying in the thousands, but they didn't want to agree. Um, and they're found all over the world. So from Alaska all the way down to the tip of South America, you can find a cricket. Um, crickets are omnivores which means that they will basically eat whatever they can get their appendages on, which sometimes even includes other crickets. That's right. Crickets are cannibalistic and will target weak or injured crickets to eat. Um, Not cool, dude. Come on. It's a wild world out there. I don't know. (laughs) But lots of animals, including humans in some parts of the world, eat crickets because of their high levels of protein, which is definitely not a good enough reason for me, but I'm not going to yuck your yum. You do you. I would suggest probably cooking them first. I don't think you should eat them just like off the ground. But anyways. could saute them. <sighs> they are great for the environment. Eating bugs and insects are great for the environment yes. and the environmental footprint. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep eating. I'll eat plants instead of crickets um the largest crickets in the world uh, are the bull cricket family and they can grow to be two inches long like as long as like your finger kind wow of. it's pretty it's long big. um and one of the most interesting things about crickets is that they're actually popular pets and are considered good luck in asia especially in china where they are kept in cages um and i hope you are all picturing mulan right now because i am especially the scene where mushu gets mad at the cricket for not bringing them luck and then he turns (laughs) to the horse and he's like and what are you a cow um that's one of my favorite scenes in that movie but it's also common to have them as caged pets in some European countries, um, like the Iberian Peninsula. And cricket fighting as a gambling, as a sports betting pastime that occurs in Macau and in Barbados, hmm. a loud cricket means money is coming in, and thus they do not kill the crickets or evict them if they chirp inside the house because... I'm assuming that means that that would mean they would no longer be having money coming in. But anyways, there's lots of other facts about crickets, and you can check those out by clicking any of the links in our show notes, which you can find on Podbean um, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. Um, But let's move on to the information that's a little bit more relevant to your question, Avery. So a cricket's chirp is created when the front wings are rubbed together and is amplified by wing surface. So when a cricket raises their left forewing to about a 45-degree angle and rubs it against the upper hind edge of the right forewing, um, which is a th- has a thick scraper, according to the internet. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but that's what they said. Um, it makes the chirping sound. Now, only males can create the chirping sound, and there are some different reasons for why they might be chirping. Now, if you hear cricket chirping, it can mean one of the following. Um, It could be a male trying to attract a female and shoo away any other males that might be trying to steal their girl. Um, It could be a male that is about to fight another male. Or it could be warning others of a threat. And they're all at, like, different frequencies. So the chirps, I mean, maybe to us they might sound pretty similar, but to the crickets, they have a particular sound. Um, 
Another cool thing that I learned about their chirping is that it directly relates to the temperature. So crickets chirp at different rates depending on their species and the temperature of the environment. Now, most species chirp at higher rates the higher the temperature is. And there's actually a scientific law called Dolbear's Law that discusses the relationship between temperature and the rate at which crickets chirp. So the law states um, that it is actually possible to determine the temperature outside according to how many chirps you hear. All you have to do is count the number of chirps produced in 15 seconds by the snowy tree cricket in the U.S., that is, and then add 40 to that to get the temperature in Fahrenheit. So this does mean that crickets obviously chirp faster in higher temperatures because you need more chirps to add to 40 to get up to those summer temps. Now, whenever you go on an evening stroll and you hear a cricket chirping, you're going to be counting those chirps. Well, at least I will be. And I hope that they're not in my house because you can't find them. You can't find them. You You can hear them, them, but you You never find find them. them. And they like crickets can like carry disease as all bugs can and they can bite you but it's very unlikely that they will break your skin um and your pets will eat them yes i mean yeah, yeah if you have a cat even some dogs probably yeah i don't know if minnie's ever eaten a cricket she's played with stink bugs before mm. and she's tried to kill flies which is very entertaining <laughs> it's very entertaining but yeah so that is why those crickets chirp and yeah that's super, I, I also will be counting yes. their chirps. Now. I was imagining us walking on our evening walks in the yes. summer, and then all of a sudden you and I will just end up pausing as soon as we hear And our dogs cricket. will be like, why are, why are we you going stopping? Anywhere? Yeah. <laughs> um, but these were some really great questions. We really appreciate um, Ms. Blanchard's class sending them in. Yes, thank you so much. These were great. Mm-hmm. So, Jill, what was the favorite thing that you learned? This that's It's such a hard to decide. There were so many good facts today, but do you want to know something I just quick looked up about flies? Please. Okay. Is this about with zippers and flies? Yes. Oh, that oh, okay. kind of, I yes. was like, oh, more bug. More bug. No, no. Uh, the fly does not refer to the zipper. It refers to the piece of fabric over the zipper. Oh. Uh-huh. There you go. And it kind of, it refers to Don't like. ever explain that to me. It's hmm. a um, part of uh English language, like old English, mm-hmm. um, and it's the, similar to what you would like a tent flap. Oh, so it just holds on like there. a like a tent fly. Yeah. But I feel like as kids, we'd always joke like your fly is down. Oh, we yeah. just weren't Kate using it. That. Yeah, we were using it wrong. <laughs> yeah. huh. Interesting. Well, now no one has to ask us that question because we yeah, have there you go. I mean, we could dive in deeper if you want to know more. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and ask. Go ahead and ask. But I would say my favorite fact was um, cricket fighting. A st- yeah. Wild. Yeah, I didn't find a video of it, and I'm kind of wishing I had. I wish you had too. I was I was waiting until we were done recording because that was the first thing I was going to look up to see if there was a video of it of crickets. Well, and then I kept picturing from a bug's life. There's grasshoppers are the mean ones, and they are closely related. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, I kept picturing hopper, really, really, really mean grasshopper from a bug's grasshoppers life. Grasshoppers seem meaner than crickets. Yeah. 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 Not probably, as mean as praying mantises. From no. a bug's Manti. life, though. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a bug's life really skewed my expectations on bugs. Me too. I think I think so, too. I think it's important that we all remember that they're an important part of our ecosystem. <laughs> we should not love bugs. bugs. Yeah, yeah, they're actually bugs. <laughs> Emily's hidden agenda for all of our That's things. Right. Emily, what you was your favorite like part? Or favorite um, fact? Honestly, the cricket fighting. I also kind of want to know, like, 
I want to be on like the marketing team that came up with those, um, the fly racing yeah. uh, for the zipper. I, I think it was a great strategy and kudos to them. Yeah. <laughs> I think mine was that I needed to buy a fire extinguisher. Yes. That's a good one. That was a very important fact, but all right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for us today. Thank you all for your amazing questions. And thank you again to Mrs. Blanchard's class. We really appreciate you sending those in because um, you're helping us learn more about our world too. For more info or to send your own questions, head to kdl.org forward slash stump. And tune in next time where we will answer more questions. A huge and special thank you, as always, to the KDL Service Center, where we are recording this podcast from, the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro music. Bugs and buttons. Bye. Bye.